it's not about making that little circle go faster so your Netflix will come in faster. Do people in your community have the ability to compete on an international marketplace in terms of providing products and services? And if the answer is no, then we need to do something about it. And I think people get that. Hello there. You are listening to episode 180 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Maine has struggled with some of the worst connectivity in the country. Much of the state is rural, and lack of investment from large private providers have left communities in the lurch. In the past two years, local leaders have stepped up to raise awareness, and in places like Rockport and Sanford, municipalities are developing municipal fiber networks on their own. In episode 180, Chris talks with State Representative Norm Higgins. Rep Higgins has been working on the connectivity issue and describes why and how he came to focus on broadband for his constituents. In this interview, learn a little about the progress and the process behind Maine's role in improving connectivity. Here's Chris speaking with State Representative Norm Higgins from Maine. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with Norm Higgins, the representative of District 120 in Maine's House of Representatives. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So, Norm, you came across our attention because you've been one uh, a person that I think is, is advancing very good, well-thought-out solutions in Maine to improve Internet access. Um, but I wanted to, to start by asking you um, to just tell me a little bit about um, why you ran for the House. Um, I understand you're a retired educator, and I'm curious if, if Internet access, Im- improving it in Maine, was a catalyst for your decision to run uh, for the House of Representatives. Uh, it was not the catalyst for me running for the House of Representatives. I, I've been retired several times, and uh, we were in Florida for winters and decided we'd like to do something different with our lives, so we returned home, and I decided to run for the legislature because I live in a very rural, economically disadvantaged part of Maine, and I wanted to try to take my life experiences and see if I could help contribute to changing the the economic trend lines here to a more positive uh, outlook, retaining our young people here. And so I ran ran my campaign about uh, uh, we can do better. And uh, broadband was one of the issues that certainly I became aware of, but I thought uh, surely after four decades in public education across the state and country that I'd probably serve on the education committee, but there really wasn't a, an opportunity to do that, so I was asked what I what else I might be interested in, and I thought, well, they, uh, I'm interested in uh, uh, renewable energy. It seemed like a good committee to be on, and, and it was afterwards that I discovered it was uh, energy, utilities, and technology, and when I started attending uh, the committee meetings, I discovered there wasn't anyone on the committee that really uh, had expertise in technology, and it was not an area that seemed to be getting much of any attention. And I thought, well, uh, this seems like a good place to uh, dive in and see what's going on. And so here, 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 weeks, li- months later, here we are. So, and let me just say that that's you could have described forty-nine of the fifty states that way. I'm guessing <laughs> there's. So it was an uncharted course for me, but it's been a, uh, I, I really uh, enjoyed it. Uh, 
there's there's no question about the need here in Maine as it is across the nation and uh, in, in rural Maine in particular we're a really poor business model for capital improvements uh, if you live in the more populous areas of the state you have access to more services and uh, but here in Maine rural Maine we're really limited and and uh, uh, I think if it became clear to me that if we we're going to become uh, a vibrant community in the future, uh, this was the one thing we could change. We can change our geography or our climate up here or our road structure, but we sure the heck could uh, change the uh, uh, access to uh, communication. And so it's become a, a, a major passion for me here in, in the last several months. And let me let me ask you what what role you think the legislature should play. Um, um, I, I noticed that that you are a Republican, and in much of the country, we see Republicans arguing that government needs to do less. And I'm curious uh, what role you think the state of Maine can play in terms of improving broadband. Well, I am a fiscal conservative Republican, but I'm an investment Republican. I believe that the federal government and the state government have a role to invest in those areas that will benefit uh, particularly the national and state economy and local economies. And what we're seeing is that when um, private business is unable for economic conditions or whatever the case may be to be able to uh, provide uh, those services at the level that we need, then I think government can play a role as providing as a stimulus uh, and creating additional opportunities. So uh, I certainly philosophically have not had an issue with promoting broadband. And um, the major piece of legislation, one of the major pieces of legislation I proposed was municipal broadband um, uh, access fund. And uh, on the, I spoke to that issue on the House floor, and the vote was 143 to 0. So Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives all recognize uh, the need. The problem seems to be when we take a look at trying to develop policies or allocate uh, funding to support these initiatives is where the real barriers seem to take place. Right. Actually, I would say that um, to the extent that we've seen a, a broad agreement on how to improve Internet access around the country, uh, it's often been that Republicans and Democrats have agreed to give money to incumbent providers. And, and I guess I'm curious um, why um, you've, you've gone with the approach, frankly, that we're so supportive of. Uh, what's the promise of municipal broadband in your mind? The promise of municipal broadband is that uh, – the driving force behind it is not about economic profits. The, the driving force behind it is providing high-quality level of services that uh, I often speak to groups talking about what we need to do is to go from worst to first. The dilemma we have now is the, in, the current providers will do marginal upgrades uh, providing services. But it's never going to get us to be world-class where we can actually be competitive on the world markets. And I believe that's what we need to do. There's just no economic incentive for them to do that. So if they don't, then someone has to. And I believe those decisions are best made at the municipal level. 
So you ended up uh, introducing a bill uh, which made it all the way through. It had quite a, a, a rocky road, despite the overwhelming support that you noted. Uh, the governor opposed it, and, and there was some. It was caught up in some of the excitement that you've had up in Maine uh, politically. Um, but uh, the bill is designated LD eleven eighty five, and I'm curious right. if you can tell us more about what you had in mind and its path through the legislature. Well, I handed. I created a broadband. I handed out to every single legislator. Met with them one on one. What I was promoting is that, that it would provide for planning grants for deep planning, or as I tell people, if you don't do deep planning, you'll be in deep trouble sooner or later. <laughs> so it, would, uh, it provided uh, funds with a small matching fund to uh, look at um, comprehensive planning around economic development goals in the community, but also educational, health care, public services, etc. They would complete this uh, uh, analysis and submit a plan, uh, to become a broadband certified community, and once they were, they could apply for $200,000 grant with some local match. That would get them started in looking at connecting core businesses and town centers, anchor institutions, government agencies, healthcare, etc. Never intended to reach the entire pop- residential population, but it began that process. And that I thought uh, teams of people at the municipal level were better to do, able to do that. It was never intended that municipalities would actually run these systems. They would actually contract with professionals to uh, design, uh, implement, and manage these systems. But the ultimate control over it would be at the municipal level, meeting municipal objectives. And it would tie into uh, our three-ring binder here, which is 1,100 miles of high-speed DAC fiber that runs throughout the state and runs right through my communities. And... Uh, there's a very limited access uh, to that, and that was the gist of what was being proposed, but obviously was uh, viewed as a major threat to uh, current providers, and uh, there was significant opposition uh, to the bill uh, throughout the legislative session, and uh, it did finally pass. Uh, the legislature overran governor's veto, but they stripped all the money out of it in the process, so we have a bill waiting for money which is what we're currently doing is uh, trying to line up uh, funds that are not data main revenues to move into the planning process, which I think we're pretty optimistic we're going to be able to do that this spring. Right. I think you have a particularly fertile ground for this kind of approach because of the three-ring binder. And uh, we just recently did an interview with Fletcher Kittredge in which he talked a little bit about that and what he calls the main model of the open access. Right. Did you anticipate this level of opposition, or did it take you by surprise? <laughs> no, I was. I, I did not anticipate the intensity of the opposition, and um, I think I was surprised by the fact that uh, our administration saw this as a threat to uh, the um, private business model, and so it's it's become somewhat difficult to do and. I think my, as I've reflected upon it, um, I began to feel like I was a one-man show on many days. And groups, uh, Broadband Coalition, people like Fletcher, Fletcher Kittredge and others here in Maine, who actually helped me think through and helped me design uh, the parameters of the bill, uh, were all very supportive. But they're on the outside, and this bill is tied up into the legislative process, which is another a uh, 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 quite different process. Um, and so I was uh, taken back and surprised by that. And uh, 
we have the framework of that. There are other two other pieces of legislation. Uh, we actually passed four major pieces of legislation on broadband. I'm very proud that we did. One was to create broadband utility districts, which I think will be beneficial in the district in the future for multiple communities to come together. And can you tell me what, what that means? It allows uh, bonding capacity, allows multiple entities come together and, and uh, to uh, have the authority to uh, bond for capital, capital expenses. Um, that's new here in Maine. That's not been permitted in the past. So uh, I think that, felt, that came in more under the radar. Uh, we have another major bill, 1063, uh, which was introduced by Representative Sarah Gideon, Democrat from Freeport, and that is to really uh, increase the scope and level of services of Connect Maine to broaden their mission. Uh, they're just finishing um, that first three-year triennial plan, which will be presented this Friday, in fact, uh, uh, to their board, which I, I think gives them a greater presence here. Uh, I had another bill in, uh, 465, which there had been a 18 to 30% uh, tariff or tax on the uh, three-ring binder here in Maine. And uh, that bill passed, and uh, that tax ended on October 16th. And as a result of that, uh, the company that manages it, Maine Fiber Company, has recently announced uh, uh, that they will provide a half a million dollars in um, incentives and uh, discounted uh, lease rates, uh, particularly in the disadvantaged areas of Maine. So rather than charging an excess fee, uh, we're not going to see uh, a discounted fee. So I expect that will contribute to uh, further development of the last mile here in Maine. Yes, I, I remember when that fee was tacked on or the tax on the three-ring binder, it, it seemed to be just an opportunity for the existing providers to find a way of trying to artificially raise the cost of competition in communities that had no real choices, which I just thought was, was terrible, and I'm very glad to see that is gone. Well, so am I. That's why I submitted the bill. I, as I started looking at this, there had been a recommendation to do that for two years, and it hadn't been acted upon. So um, we submitted a bill, and it, it actually got broad support in both houses, both parties, and was signed by the governor. So um, I think everybody recognized that uh, was an uh, impediment to broadband expansion here in Maine. Excellent. What kind of response have you had from constituents and other people across the state uh, as you've elevated um, the Internet access to such a high level? I mean, um, you, you know, I, I do think you are a leader on this. Uh, however, there was a lot of bills that were introduced on this subject. So it was clearly a matter of, of interest across the state. I, I think it is. It's, uh, you know, when I would approach people in the legislature and I would say, uh, how do you feel about broadband in Maine? And everybody said, well, you know, we need to do a better job. I would say, did you, did you bring this up in your campaigns? And I found a vast majority of uh, legislators, in fact, had talked about, about this on the campaign trail, but didn't seem to be translating that into public policy. So uh, I find here in, in my own communities uh, or wherever I happen to go to speak about broadband, I tell them it's not about making that little circle go faster so your Netflix will come in faster. Uh, I'm not concerned about if you have to wait a little longer. What I am concerned about is uh, do people in, this in your community have the ability to compete on an international marketplace in terms of providing products and services? And if the answer is no, 
then we need to do something about it. And I think people get that. I, it's just, I have not had anybody tell me it's a bad idea, but it's, it's difficult to break through that uh, private ownership model here in this country. Yes, it is. Although I think uh, I think Maine is really one of the leading states on new models to make sure that people have a real choice and that rural communities are not left behind. So uh, I definitely want to celebrate your leadership on it. And uh, as we wrap up, I'm, I'm curious if there's anything else you want to tell us uh, from your experiences. I think the thing that has uh, perhaps uh, gained great attraction for me, uh, living in a rural area where healthcare services are limited in terms of getting uh, quality access to specialized services, that I think uh, telemedicine is a driving issue here for us to think about. That's not about economics and education. It's about healthcare, and I think it's about home care. Wherever I go and I talk to senior citizens about the healthcare monitoring in the home, People talk to me a lot about that, and they oftentimes tell me that the number one fear is not about dying. The number one fear is being forced from their homes because of uh, health care issues. And so I think the longer that we can maintain the independence and uh, the health care of our seniors in their homes, not only is it financially a, a reasonable thing for us to do, but I think it's the morally right thing to do. And uh, the public, I think, really does get that piece. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show, and we wish you the best uh, in terms of uh, the next session and certainly in terms of uh, finding the funds that are necessary to move forward the program that you created. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. That was Chris and State Representative Norm Higgins from Maine recapping last year's legislation. We expect to see more activity as the state continues efforts to bring better high-speed connectivity to rural areas. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at CommunityNets. You can also follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter, where the handle is at MuniNetworks.org. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at MuniNetworks.org. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you for listening to episode 180 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Podcast.